Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. I would just say this because back again in the Old Testament and it's not different from the New Testament. What about when people do wrong with that? You know, when Eli's sons caused people to abhor the offering, eventually God killed them for what they were doing. And so if you're concerned, you say, I don't want to give my money. I don't want to, you know, I give my money that, that they, they can take advantage of me. Know that God will deal with those that are abusing and taking advantage of his people. The wicked one would not go unpunished. As you look around and see the success of men and women who take advantage and abuse others, it's easy to allow bitterness into your heart. How could God let them prosper while the just and righteous struggle to get by? As Pastor Bill will encourage us in today's message, those who reject God's love and mistreat others will get the judgment they've earned. Your reward for living a life that honors God and serve others will be full and eternal. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Nehemiah chapter 10 as he continues his message, The New Commitment. It's not a new thing for people in leadership to abuse the giving we saw in Samuel's day that Samuel, I'm sorry, Eli's sons in the temple, they were abusing the people. The people were bringing their their sacrifice to give and Eli's sons were taking it and, you know, taking it from the people for themselves before it was even given. And it said that people began to abhor the, the sacrifice of the Lord. And so we see that today where we have preachers and ministers and churches that abuse people for their finances. It's all they talk about. Give me this. You know, I'll give you one of my prayer cloths for, for this much money. God's going to bless you. Uh, I wish I wish they would play back all the tapes from New Year's services and them pastors that said you're going to be this is 2020. Oh, this is going to be your year. Ain't none of them prophets have nothing about the coronavirus. They have to all be put to shame. You know, I wasn't going to say stone, but I'm going to stop that. So um, but but here they were they were they weren't giving. And if they didn't give, then God's people couldn't do what they were supposed to do. The worship of the Lord determined that the people would give. And if they were not faithful to give, then the priest and the Levite who who live off of the giving of the people, they weren't able to do their job. They couldn't serve. They had to go back and take jobs. Um, if the people didn't give, there wasn't wood to burn offering. If the people didn't give, there wasn't animals to sacrifice for the offerings. And so everything was out of whack if people didn't give. And so God had a requirement on his people. He said, look, bring me back of your first fruits. And it was of everything, the first fruits of your grain, of your crops, of your animals, of every, bring it to me and give me of your first fruits. I'll let you keep the rest. And I want you to understand the faith involved. Your first fruits, like this is the first one. I don't have anything else left. And God said, bring me that one. And you bring to the Lord and worship the first fruits. And it's in faith that God will, the one that gave you the first fruits will replenish the, the rest. They also had a tie. They were to give a tenth of of certain things. And that was an ongoing thing that they were to give to the Lord in obedience and worship. And so they had not been giving. So things had not been able to function, but they're committing here verses 33 and 30, 32 and 33. They're saying, we're going to get back to giving to make sure that the things that are needed are there, that the Lord can be rightly worshiped the way that he prescribed, that the priest and the Levite have what they need 
and that things are right. Um, I would just say this to us. Again, we live in a weird time and it's weird to talk about giving. But if you're a believer in the New Testament, in, in a similar way, um, the way that the temple was cared for was that the people that were worshipers of God, they would give. And then that would take care of the needs of the temple. It's much the same way in the New Testament church, that the way the church functions is that those who attend a particular church, those who are fed at a particular church, they give. And as they give, that meets the needs of that particular church. And so while there are men that abuse this and women that abuse this, um, I would say get away from those that abuse it. But don't let the fact that there's some people out there abusing it cause you to negate the fact that this is God's, this is God's, uh, this is God's uh, arrangement for how the church would function. In the same way that here, this was God's arrangement for how the temple would, would work and how they would be able to worship God according to the law. And so the commitment here is we're going to get back to giving. We're going to give that which is required of us from the Lord. Then in verse 34, it says, we cast lots among the priests, the Levites and the people for bringing the wood offerings into the house of our God, according to our father's houses at the appointed times year by year to burn on the altar for the Lord, our God, as it is written in the law. And so here they would cast lots. So it kind of went in a rotation and each person would, it was kind of like a tax they would bring some of the wood required for all the burning of the sacrifices. If you can imagine that they're always burning these sacrifices in the temple. And so God said, look, everybody here, we're going to cast lots. And you guys come at the appointed time. You give your portion of wood. And if everybody did a little bit, it wouldn't feel like one person was doing a whole lot. Just everybody did their part. It would flow. And so they were saying, God, we're going to get back to that. We we had not been doing it, but we're going to commit to that. So. These are so far they've committed to stop marrying pagan women or giving their children uh, in marriages to pagan women. They, they've agreed to honor and obey the Sabbath day and the Sabbath, the sabbatical year um, to get back to giving the land rest and themselves taking that day of rest. Um, now they've committed to their giving. They said, God, we, we haven't worshipped you with our giving like we're supposed to, but we're going to get back to that. We're going to back to worshiping you with our giving so that the functions of the temple and the house of God can be taken care of. Um, then it says here, this is not a something that the law required, but this is just a, a need that comes up. We just see the practical need. We need wood. The priests and they need wood here. So everybody cast lots. Let's just take our turn um, bringing. And this is different, right? There's the giving that's required. And then there's the giving that we do because, man, I just want to see things go well. And I, I would challenge us as believers that we wouldn't just do what we have to do, um, that we would we, we should do what we're supposed to do, what we're called to do. But there should be a heart in us that says, God, I'll do whatever I'm, I'm here to help in whatever way I'll do. I'll go above and beyond what's required if need be, if it's necessary. And that's what they're saying here. This is this wasn't required, but we'll do it because this is a need that is here. and We want to make sure we take care of it. Look at verse thirty five now. It says, and we made ordinances to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all fruit trees year by year to the house of the Lord. And so here are all the offerings of the, the first fruits, the firstborn that they were to bring. And, and, and we'll see in a minute the tithes, um, all their fruit trees of the first fruits they were to bring and give um, to the house of the Lord. Verse 36 to bring the firstborn of our sons, our cattle, as it is written in the law, 
and the firstborn of our herds and our flocks to the house of our God, to the priests who minister in the house of our God. And so when you had a firstborn child, you didn't offer up your child, but there was an amount of money that you would bring as a offering. Thanking the Lord for your first child that broke the womb. Uh, the first of your cattle, the first of your flocks, you would offer something to the Lord in worship. They hadn't been doing this, but they're going to get back to this. And I think it's important because what it does, it ties God back into everything. They, it, it reminds them that everything we have came from the Lord. It's his blessing. I didn't get this some kind of God blessed me to be able to have this. God sent the rain. God blessed my flock. God blessed my wife. Um, and I, I'm glad to offer back to the Lord and, and gratitude and gratefulness for all that he has done for me. Verse 37, to bring the first fruits of our dough, our offerings, the fruit of, from all kinds of trees, the new wine, the oil to the priests, to the storerooms of the house of our God and to bring the tithes of our land to the Levites for the Levites should receive the tithes and all our farming communities. And so here they're bringing the, excuse me, the fruit trees, the new wine, the oil and all these things. They're bringing it to the house of the Lord. And it says it goes into the storerooms. And so some of you guys are familiar with the text in Malachi that people love uh, to talk about when, with regard to tithing. And it says, you know, bring, bring all your tithes into the storerooms that there may be meat in my house, so forth and so on. Because under the Old Testament, they, they had a storehouse at the temple and they kept food there so that there would be meat in his house and grain and food to meet the needs of those that were there and beyond. And so, you know, we don't have that today. You know, the church, we don't have a storehouse here, um, where you guys can kill your cattle because y'all ain't killing cattle no more. You know, so New Testament church, things are different. Uh, we tithe of our resources. We give, we give, we give offerings to the Lord. And, but here, this was the law. This is what they were required to do. And so they're saying, God, we're going to get back to that. We're going to give to the Lord that which belongs to the Lord and we'll bring it into the house of our God. Um, it says we'll bring the tithes of our land to the Levites. And again, if you guys remember the Levites, were the one group that they didn't get land by allotment. God said, I'm your, I'm your inheritance. And everywhere that, that they went, the people were supposed to take care of the Levites, give them land, give them animals. And the giving to the temple was to take care of their needs as well. So when people were not faithful to do this, the Levites were left hanging and uh, they couldn't, they, they had to go back and get jobs and go farm and they couldn't do the work that God had called them to do there in the temple. And so, Verse 38, it says, and the priest, the descendant of Aaron shall be with the Levites. When the Levites receive tithes and the Levites shall bring up a tenth of the tithes to the house of our God, to the rooms of the storehouse. And so, again, the, the priests are going to be there with the Levites. They both are there serving in the temple and the temple is what they're calling the house of our God and they're going to take care of the, the, the priest and Levite would be in charge of managing that which was given and making sure that it went where it was supposed to go and that the needs were met. And I would just say this, because back again in the Old Testament and it's not different from the New Testament. What about when people do wrong with that? You know, when Eli's sons caused people to abhor the offering, eventually God killed them for what they were doing. And so if you're concerned, you say, I don't want to give my money. I don't want to, you know, I give my money that, that they, they can take advantage of me. Know that God will deal with those that are abusing and taking advantage of his people. We should hopefully 
use the scriptures to identify them, uh, false teachers and whatnot, so we don't get wrapped up in that. Um, but it's not a new thing that men would do such things. Uh, that it was happening then. It still happens today. I'm blown away at some of the things I see just watching Christian television and just some of the things that people, what they say to people and, um, how they, how they raise money for everything. They're selling vials of water. Um, I watched the episode where a guy was basically saying, um, you know, he had read Psalm 91, uh, and he was, you know, you, you call in with your $91. He was going to, you know, pray a coronavirus blessing over you and, and, and it was going to pass over you and your household for $91. You can get the coronavirus to make sure it passes over you and your household. And, um, it's a shame that people are doing that sort of thing. It's a bigger shame that Christians are listening and buying into it and don't know better than that. One of the marks of uh, false prophets, false teachers, the Bible says in Peter's epistle, is that they make merchandise of the people. And so if you go to a church and you feel like, man, I feel like merchandise, they take four offerings. They ask me for money constantly. It probably, you know, probably a good idea to get somewhere that's going to teach you the Bible and minister to you. Um, and, and, you know, and, and be more balanced in how often we're hearing about things like giving. It's not that we would never hear about it, but if it's every week, two times, four sermons, three offerings, and, and again, um, you should, you should be mindful, uh, of, of that sort of thing. We should be careful of that. But back to our text here is as part of their getting right with God was that they needed to give again. They needed to get things right and bring to the Lord that which belonged to him. It says in Proverbs 3, 9 and 10, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty. Your vats will overflow with new wine. And that was God's promise to him. As you guys are faithful to give, I'll be faithful to replenish. I'll make sure you have what you need. And so, um, you know, we could never outgive the Lord. Um, I was today again in the Bible reading. If you did it today in Luke, there was the little, the woman with the mite. And as Jesus stood there, as people were giving, he talked about the, the religious people giving out of their abundance. But this, this little widow gave. Um, two mites would amount to less than a penny, a penny, but it was all that she had. And Jesus said, this woman gave more than everybody else. Um, she gave all that she had. It, Jesus wasn't counting the amount of what was given, but what it cost people to give it. And she gave everything that she had. And um, it doesn't say that, you know, he chased her down and, you know, gave her a miracle or an or abundance, but he marked her. He said, hey, she, she, she did more than everybody else. And I saw it. And that's what you need to be concerned with. When you think about giving, um, the Bible says when you do your charitable deeds, do it in such a way that your right hand doesn't know what your left hand is. Do it. Do it unto the Lord and let the Lord be the one to receive. I'm God. I'm giving this to you. Uh, I may hand it in here, but I'm giving this to you. And I know that you'll use it for your glory. I want it to be used for your glory. God will. God will receive it from you. Um, that woman didn't put money in God's hands, but God saw her giving. And she said he saw what she did and he acknowledged it. And so. Um, we need to have our minds set there as well, that whatever giving we do, we want it to be as unto the Lord, not to men. And so moving on, verse 39 now. And um, I, I got to say, this verse this verse was really my meditation over, over this week. It says, for the children of Israel and the children of Levi shall bring the offering of the grain of the new wine and the oil to the storerooms where the articles of the sanctuary are, where the priests 
who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers are. And it says this, and we will not neglect the house of our God. And I want to just say this, what they what they were guilty of previously for years, not only had they initially neglected their own relationship with the Lord, they also had neglected the house of God. So there wasn't a place to go worship. There wasn't, you know, there wasn't, the articles weren't there for worship. The things weren't being brought to worship the Lord in the way he prescribed. And so they say, you know what, in this recommitment, and I want you to count all the things that they make commitments to, how many of them are dealing directly with their worship of the Lord? The only things that don't really involve their their direct worship of God was the no longer intermarrying with the pagans and observing the Sabbath. The rest of it had was directly related to temple worship. Their giving to the temple, wood for the altar, first fruits, um, the things for the Levites and the priests to put into the storehouse. So there would be, you know, things there for them. Everything else had to do with making sure the house of God was taken care of, that worship could be done the way God had prescribed for them in the law. So we're not under the Old Testament. We're not old covenant believers. We are blessed, very blessed to be new covenant believers. And the house of God for us is not what it was for them. The church building is not a a switch over from the temple. This is not the house of God. The way the Bible says it in the New Testament is that you and I, we become the house of God. And it's even in a more significant way than you may think, because I, as we look at the Old Testament, the house of God, it was speaking of the temple, the whole house of God. Inside the house of God, there was a area called the Holy of Holies. It was where the presence of the Lord was uh, in the house of God. And it wasn't somewhere anybody could just go whenever they wanted. In the New Testament, and if you're writing notes, you can write down 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And it says that we are now the, the house of the Lord. We, our bodies are now the temple of God. We're the house of God. God dwells within us as New Testament believers. And when it says that we're the, the temple of God or the house of God is actually in reference to that place, the, the holy place, uh, that place where God dwells. And this is why for every New Testament believers, the Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. I'm now, you are now the house of God. God lives in me. And God lives in you. And so we're not, again, our, our focus wouldn't be on a building per se. Our focus, if we're going to get things right with the Lord, it may not, our worship of God may not depend on a facility, but our lives. God said, look, I live there. And I want you to consider that about your life, that God would say, I, I live there. I live inside of you. First Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you are the temple of God? And that the spirit of God dwells in you. And so um, in the, the following verse, if anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him for the temple of God is holy whose temple you are. But God said, look, you are where I live. And again, we're not a facility. We're not we don't worship a facility. We worship in a place. Sometimes right now we're not even worshiping in a facility. Right. God says, I dwell in you. And what would it take? What needs to happen in you that God would be worshiped in the way? That he wants. Again, we're not Old Testament believers. And so there's not, you know, a lot of times when we think of, man, how do I get right with God? 
I don't know if we realize sometimes what a blessed position that we're in. As we read here, for them to get right with God, there was a lot of things they needed to get right. They needed to start giving. They needed to stop intermarrying. They needed to observe the Sabbath. They needed to bring the tithes. They needed to bring the first fruits, bring the offering, give the wood. They needed to make sure all that stuff was going on. What do you and I got to do to get it right with the Lord? Can I tell you that it's a beautiful thing that we can come? We come to Jesus with our sin, with our failure, with our brokenness. We, we come to Christ. We acknowledge that, God, I've failed, I've fallen, I've sinned, and I want to be forgiven. And as we have put our faith in Jesus for the, for his, he died on the cross, rose from the grave to forgive us of our sins, God says, look, I, I will forgive you and cleanse you. He says in 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse. That means you can come to God and say, God, I messed up as a believer. That, that verse is written to believers, and you confess your sins, and God is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you. Now, in addition to confession and being cleansed, we should also repent. This chapter, we're looking at their recommitment, what repentance looked like for them. It was fleshed out. And even though we come and we say, God, forgive me. And God says, yes, I wash you. I cleanse you in the blood of Christ. There should also be in the New Testament does also teach repentance that we should make we should make the U-turn. We should turn away from whatever we've been doing and begin to go in a new direction. And so um, as I get ready to wrap this up, I want to give us some things to consider. I asked in the very beginning if you guys would describe or define your commitment to the Lord. What's your relationship with the Lord? What's your commitment to the Lord look like? And I do want you to consider what, is, what does it look like? What's your commitment? We know God's commitment is strong. He's faithful on his end. No question. The question is never on God's side of defense. Not for them, not for us. Right. For them, he had, in chapter nine, he rehearsed God's faithfulness over and over again, even though they kept failing him. The faithfulness is never questioned on God's side of the fence. It's always on our side of the fence. So for the Israelites here, they're now confessing, acknowledging and making right the wrongs on their side of the fence. God's been faithful the whole time anyway. But for you at home, for you that are listening, you that are watching this, what would it look like for you to be committed to the Lord the way you know he wants? Is there anything that you would say, I know God would want me to stop doing this? Because I would encourage you, charge you, challenge you in the love of Christ. If you know there's some things that should stop, then you should stop. As they made this commitment, they wrote these things down and they they entered into covenant. It's even greater than a commitment. They entered into covenant with God that God, this you're right about this and we we act, we, we yield to what you say. And if there are things that you would say, man, I got to stop that and I need to begin this. I would just encourage you that we're going to pray in just a moment that you acknowledge those things. God, I, these things need to stop in my life. And maybe if you're honest with God, you would say, I know these things need to stop. And I seem to be powerless to stop them. That's many times the case that we come before the Lord and we're like, God, I know I shouldn't be doing this, this and this. But I find myself very weak in these areas. Be honest, because the Bible says that his strength is made perfect in your weakness. And if you can be honest with God and you can share what it is and you can confess your sins, you can also ask God to give you strength where you're weak. Right. It's it's your decision to obey. It'll always be God's power to enable. So you have to make the decision to do what God's word says or to stop doing what God's word says not to do. You make the decision. I promise you, God will supply the power for you to walk that out. Many times people don't take step one. 
And so they never get to experience the victory of step two. You make the decision. You walk in that decision. God will supply the power for you to walk in victory. And I believe somebody needs to hear that so that they can do that. The book of Nehemiah lays out an interesting time period in the history of Israel. Although they had been exiled, a group of Israelites were called to go back to Jerusalem and build the city wall. Nehemiah was a strong leader during this time and his character shined brightly despite some hardship and challenges along the way. Are you facing trying circumstances right now? We would like to know how we can be praying for you during this time. Please feel free to give us a call or send a text to 310-245-4811. That's 310-245-4811. If you need some direction and encouragement through the Word, we have a helpful Bible reading plan on our website. This can be a useful guide if you're not sure where to begin with Scripture. Look on our website, CalvaryEnglewood.org. We're so glad you tuned in today to A Transforming Word. Pastor Bill will continue his teaching through Nehemiah next time you join us. But in the meantime, you can access more of these messages at CalvaryInglewood.org and on our Calvary Chapel Inglewood app. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you prayerfully consider giving some financial support? All gifts are welcome and appreciated, no matter the size. They help us continue to reach more and more people with the good news of the gospel message. You can find more at CalvaryInglewood.org or donate through our app. We appreciate your support. Thanks again for tuning in, and we look forward to you joining us next time on A Transforming Word. Transforming Word.